Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. We've been in this place for the last few weeks. This morning, I'm going to be focusing on verse 16, referencing the other two as well. But here again, this comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I would encourage you to grab the blue pew Bible if you did not bring your own or open up your Bible app if that's not a distraction. We'll be looking at a couple of other places as we move through this sermon. What happened on Friday is one of those events in our lives where we likely will remember where we were when we heard the news of what the Supreme Court's decision was as it was revealed. You might remember who told you, where you were, how you found out, how you felt, how people around you, if you're around others, how they were responding. It's just, it's a landmark decision. We all know that. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. Our denomination, the PCA, had their annual general assembly from Tuesday through late Thursday night. So Friday morning, I'm getting ready to leave the hotel room, and I receive a message, and then my phone begins to blow up rapidly, celebrating this decision, but also recognizing that much of the world isn't going to celebrate this. I had connected with an Uber driver. I didn't know who it would be. And when I'm with the Uber driver, I know there's always a chance, whether it's a short ride or a long ride, to be salt and light. I don't believe that I have the burden of telling everything there is to someone, everything there's to know about the Lord and the gospel in the seven or 17 or 27 minutes that I'm in a car with a stranger. But I also want to always be available, Lord, how might you move? Tuesday morning when I was on my way to DFW, I prayed for my Uber driver and he picked me up. And it was very clear early in that drive, very early in the morning, that he was a believer. And I can tell because they don't know anything about me. I don't wear a robe like this and get in the car. I don't wear Christian t-shirts. I just, I don't have a cross on. I just show up. So a lot of times they, if they're in Christ, see it as part of their calling to be salt and light for whoever is in the car with them. And sometimes I can sense they're trying to tell me about Jesus or maybe about another God that they worship. And I enjoy that. Very quickly, it was discerned that we were both believers, and it was a delightful conversation of encouraging one another as I heard this man's story of coming to faith in Ethiopia before he moved to the United States. I get on the plane once again, Lord, if you want to put someone next to me um, that I can be salt and light to, I would be encouraged by that, recognizing there are other PCA pastors on that plane. I honestly was like, I don't really want to sit by one of them. Um, I don't. I love them, but I don't want to sit by them. So I moved into a seat, and there was a gentleman sitting next to me, and it's a tight plane, and he said, are you Mark Davis? And I was like, ugh. <laughs> yes. 
And he said, I used to be a member of PCPC. And I'm like, used to be? You know, tell me about that. He's like, my wife and I, we've been married for years. We got pregnant in 2019. We moved back to Birmingham. And then we talked the entire flight. It was a delight. It was truly salt and light, encouraging one another. Then I made contact with an Uber driver. And this Uber driver gave every appearance that he was not in Christ. So I was excited. Didn't realize how long to the hotel from Birmingham's airport, but I knew that I would try to be salt and light. So I asked him as he was describing his worldview, I simply said, you, you sound like a man of faith. Are you a man of faith? And he says, no, I am not a man of faith. And he's got to be in his 70s. And I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. So I waited. I waited and waited. And then he says, I've graduated from faith. I'm a man of knowledge. I know who I am. I am a beloved son of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was like, okay. <laughs> He's about to preach a sermon to me. And he did. And I was so blessed by his zeal, speaking of how profound his knowledge was by the grace of God. Tell me your story, he did. I told him a bit of my story. So on the Friday morning, when I've now connected with another Uber driver, not knowing who it would be, I'm standing outside on the corner with my bag, and there I see him in his car pulling up to see me, and he is just ecstatic, pointing at me like this, already beginning the sermon that I'm about to hear in his car on the way back. And he says to me, have you heard? I knew what he was talking about. I said, I have. And then he essentially prayed blessings over me and the ministry God's called me to, over you. And then as I was getting out of the car, he said, remember this, you're just a paper boy. I said, what do you mean? He said, do you remember paper boys? I said, I remember paper boys. Their job was just to deliver the words. But the people who received it and opened it had to read it. That's your job. You're the paper boy. That's what I'm going to call you every day as I pray for you. I said, okay. And then he said, give them the word. <laughs> we hugged, exchanged phone numbers. Maybe I'll see him before heaven, maybe not. But there was salt and light. Now, my Uber driver from Dallas, DFW, to my home on Saturday, yeah, it was Friday morning. Well, there, there was no faith in that conversation. He simply wanted me to shut my mouth very, very quickly. And I tried, and we talked, and I tried, but it was intense. His perspective on what had just happened was far different. And that's the world we live in. This morning, we're going to continue looking at this passage. And it has an incredible application for where we are. In fact, when I was in the airport, after this news had broke from the Supreme Court, it was an interesting scene. It was very quiet. Most everyone's on their phone. Few people are in conversations. The TVs are blasting everywhere, but nobody was watching them. The news was on every channel, and the news was the same. What I found very interesting was behind me were two pastors, PCA pastors, pastors who had been at the same convention, but they didn't know who I was or whether I'm even a pastor. So I listened to their conversation as they talked about what they felt like they needed to preach this Sunday. Our bulletin goes to the printer on Thursday. 
the text, the hymns, everything's selected on Wednesday. Our worship and art staff does an amazing job putting all that together. So I knew the text we were going to be in. And I thought, God, I really praise you that you've had us in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, already for two weeks, and now one more. Because I cannot think of a better passage for the people of God to be in than this right now. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These are Christ's words to us. And as I said two weeks ago and last Sunday, they are indicative. They're not imperatives. They're not commands. Jesus is describing who his people are as the body of Christ. And it's coming right out of the Beatitudes where he has listed the characteristics that are to be normative for his people. And those characteristics like being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, being merciful, rejoicing when we're persecuted, those things are what give us that flavor, that saltiness. It's what gives us that light that truly draws people to wonder what is different about you. Some to hate it because darkness hates light, and others to be led by that light which is shining through us, which is Jesus, into a relationship with him for glory. So this morning I want to talk about particularly the last verse, verse 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Before we get into the outline, I want to make sure you understand something. This is very important. When Jesus is mentioning good works here, he is not mentioning something that saves us. This is not a works righteousness gospel. This is not a justification by our works. It's not that we have enough good deeds that others can see that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would say, you are now accepted in my kingdom. This is the result of that justification, which is a work by the Holy Spirit. This is the results of saving faith, that for those who are truly in Christ, there are going to be good deeds, good works that flow from us. God created us for that, and then he gives us the power to be and do those things. So I want to make sure that's clear. This morning, as we talk about being salt and light, letting that light shine, I want to focus on prayer. I want to focus on presence, and I want to focus on preparedness. So I want to begin with prayer. Here's why. Prayer is something, it's a means of grace that God has given us that we can use anytime, anywhere. It is not something that has to stop. It's not something that is only a part of a Sunday morning service or your daily quiet time. Prayer is something that we who are in Christ have access to at all times. You wake in the middle of the night, you can pray to the living God. You have to take a break at work, you can pray to the living God. You experience anxiety, in that moment you can pray to the living God. And you're praying truly to the living God. So when we think about being the people he's called us to be, salt and light in a decaying and dark world, prayer is essential to that reality. Prayer is the essence of our union with Jesus. 
We are not sometimes in Jesus and then out of Jesus. We have union with Christ. We are his. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Why does this matter when it comes to being salt and light? When you think about being salt and light in the world right now, today, given the reality of the decision that the Supreme Court just made and revealed, when you see people who, like us, are celebrating that this has happened, it's an answer to prayer over decades and decades. Think about all the prayers. We also know that much of the world is responding a different way. And why wouldn't they? What I said last Sunday sticks. People do and think what makes sense to them. And so when their hearts are so grieved, frightened, confused, angry, we understand that that's what makes sense to them. And it's what would make sense to us too if God, by his grace, hadn't opened our eyes, opened our ears, caused hearts that were dead for him to beat, called minds that were confused about him suddenly to think clearly. So when God has saved us, when we become a new creation, that union with Christ begins. And now we have the ability to think right, to hear right, to feel right, to act right. But it's always, please hear me, always by his grace. We can't forget that. Prayer reminds us when we're in union with God that apart from him, we could do nothing. Take your Bible Turn over to the gospel. It's going to be to your right, three books, to the gospel of John. When Jesus says that let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, we have to understand what he means by that glory. In John 15, Jesus teaches the famous passage on the vine and the branches. I want to read the first portion of this, and I want you to picture what Jesus is saying. Listen to his instruction. He says, I, it's one of his I am statements, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, this is important. Fruit in the life of a believer is what brings God glory. The Beatitudes are fruit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, that's fruit. That fruit can only be born by our abiding relationship with Jesus. So the good works that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, that's fruit. Those fruits are born only out of the abiding relationship with Jesus. And what does Jesus say? People will be drawn to that. They will give glory to God. Here's why that matters. Verse 3. Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide is all about union with Christ. It means remaining in Christ, being in Christ. Then verse 5. I am the vine. This is Jesus. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we cannot be salt. Apart from Christ, we cannot be light. There will be nothing in our life that draws people to the glory of God. He writes in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, that's prayer. Asking is praying. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, whatever you wish, what does that mean? If we're abiding in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We're praying for things that would be present in the mind of Christ. When I first read this verse, I was 15 and a half. I'd been a Christian only a few months. Like an immature, young believer, I thought that meant if I believe and I pray for whatever I want because I'm in Christ, he'll say yes. I was corrected. My parents had got me a used Ford Escort. I'd prayed for a Porsche. God said no. He can. He does. It's not what it means. It means because we have the mind of Christ, we are praying for the fruit that brings God glory to be present in our lives. And when it's present, it's salt and it's light. Now listen to verse 8. It's the proof text of everything I'm saying. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's it. If you want proof of whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus, you don't have to go all the way back to a specific date. You might not even have a specific date. Your testimony might have a general time. You could start today. You want confidence that you're a believer. You want to have proof that you're a disciple. It's right there. It is to my Father's glory that you, his people, bear much fruit. So proving to be my disciples. If you want that fruit, that's proof. If you don't want that fruit, and you're concerned that you don't want that fruit, therefore you begin to want that fruit, that's fruit. That's the way it works. But apart from him, we can do nothing. It is to the Father's glory, word for word from Jesus' mouth, it is to the Father's glory that you, your children who are in Christ, your grandchildren who are in Christ, your pastors who are in Christ, it is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples. So what does prayer have to do with this? When we pray as part of our life in Christ, being salt and light, we recognize that that union with Christ is everything. I'm praying for God to be glorified with my life. I'm praying to the living God to bring power to my life. I'm praying, giving him gratitude that he saved me, that I did not save myself, that I did not suddenly think right about God because I was smart. I didn't suddenly begin to live rightly because I was good. He saved me by his grace and for his glory. When we come to this place of being salt and light and we see a world, we remember why Jesus used this illustration the world is in decay because of sin. It's decaying, just like all who are apart from Christ are in decay and decaying, just like we once were. 
The world is dark. It loves darkness. But Christ has shown those who are his children the light. And now the light shines through us. So when we pray, we are petitioning the Lord as we have for five decades for many things related to all that this has been about in regards to abortion. We celebrate what the Supreme Court has done, but we know it's not over because it's a decaying world. And there's going to be more and more and more evil all the way up until the time when Christ returns. And Christ's plan will be victorious. He's victorious. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against his church. But his plan is to use us in all these different places, places of work, recreation, where we live, as salt and light. So we pray. We pray for those who are living in darkness to see the light. We pray for those who hate the light to see the light. We pray for the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, merciful, pure-hearted. We pray for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to be present in our lives. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. What's next? When it comes to being salt and light, I want to speak about presence. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In order for us to be the salt and the light to a decaying and dark world, we have to be present. Jesus did not pray to his father in John 17 for his disciples to be taken out of the world. He does not pray as he lives to intercede for us, for us to be taken out of the world. Because salt, which is purifying, which is cleansing, which is healing, which adds flavor, can only do those things if it's touching that which is in decay or decaying. You can't be salt from a distance. You can only be salt when you're present with those who need it. Light shines brightest in the darkness. The world is dark. People who are in sin, who are in the world, love darkness. When we, by God's grace, who are followers of Christ, have his light in us, it shines brightest to those who are in darkness. Remember what light does? I said it last Sunday. It reveals, it exposes sin, specific deeds, but it also exposes the reason behind sin. But it does more than that. It leads people out of sin. Think about the people God's used in your life as a light to lead you out. Praise God for them. Being salt, being light, means that we must be present. 
Salt loses its saltiness. Whenever it's not present, it can't work. Or when it becomes diluted. Salt becomes diluted when we no longer hold to the truth. We don't hold fast to the things of God and his word. Salt also becomes ineffective in its taste when we don't fail to hold tight to his word, but we fail to show love to those who are living in darkness. In both cases, salt is no longer effective. And so that's why Jesus uses these words coming right out of the Beatitudes. Because when we are the people he's called us to be, poor in spirit, merciful, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, rejoicing even in the midst of persecution. There's something about that that tastes so different and so good. Light is most powerful when it shines in darkness. Imagine if this was Palm Sunday and I shared with you that this is our normal Holy Week schedule. But this year, instead of Maundy Thursday, which I hear often and agree is one of the greatest services we do each year. If you've never been, it's beautiful, incredible. But I told you, Maundy Thursday is not going to be at 7 o'clock and end at 9.30 or so, or 8 o'clock and end at 9.30. Instead, we're going to have it at noon. It'll be here. And the sanctuary will be a, about as bright as it is right now. I promise you. I would hear from you. Why? Because one of the most powerful moments of that service is when we hear beautiful music, powerful music, cries of music saying, Lord, have mercy. Or were you there when they crucified the Lord? And as those songs go on, the lights begin to dim. And suddenly the sanctuary is really dark for a few moments until a person walks down this aisle with a little flame and lights one candle. If this was done at this time of day, it wouldn't have the same effect. In the darkness, the power of that one light radiates. It's like children, you little ones, listen to me for a minute. If I gave you some flashlights and said, let's play flashlight tag right now. And we went outside in the bright of day would that really be any fun? But if we did it at night, when those lights were really shining into darkness, that would be fun. If we are believers and we do not have presence with those who are living in darkness, those whose lives are in decay, we've lost our saltiness. The light isn't shining bright. Friends, as God leads us, we need to be his people, the people he's called us to be in relationship with those who are desperate. That moves us to preparedness. Turn to 1 Peter 3. I'm going to end with this. I would encourage you to read all of 1 Peter chapter 3 this week. Actually, the whole letter is not very long. It's very powerful. But as you read it, I want you to think about this. Peter was present 
when Jesus gave this sermon. It's likely that Peter was present when Jesus gave almost any sermon or lesson. I'm sure there were some he missed. But he was present at this one. And what you hear from Peter is nothing more than a reflection of who Christ taught him to be. Peter, in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 15, says this. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you read the verses that come before that, Peter's going to talk about humility and love. God has told us, because of who we are in Christ, we are salt and we are light. When people see people who have Christ reigning in their life, in the Beatitudes, that char- those characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, those things which were, are only born by abiding in Christ. The Word tells us that they may see those good deeds in us, those good works in us, born only by our abiding relationship with Jesus, and give glory to God. But this is what I want you to hear. Being salt and light is not about just having the right answers. But living a life of good deeds that causes someone to want to know the answer. Being salt and light is not just about having right answers, but living a life of good deeds that causes someone to want to know the answer. They see something in you. They taste something about you. And though they may still be living in darkness and hate light, there's something about you that causes them to become curious. It might take days, weeks, months, years, decades, but they see something. And what they see is a light, and what they taste is salt. And God gives us that privilege. But if we're not present, if we're living from a distance, if our only knowledge of the dark world is because we read books that comment on the dark world, if we're not in proximity with those who don't know the Lord, that salt doesn't touch them. That light, they don't see it. God gives us the privilege because of who we are and what we are of bringing people through us to saving faith. They ask, why do you have hope? Why do you believe the way you believe? 
Why aren't you yelling back at the people who are yelling at you? Why won't you do this when everybody else is? There's something they taste. There's someone they see. Be prepared to give the answer. It's Christ in me. If those around you don't taste or see something different in you, they won't ask. Why would they? But if Christ, because of your abiding relationship with him, is bearing fruit in you that makes you poor in spirit, a mourner, meek, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, pure-hearted, love is flowing from you, kindness, and you're standing on the truth, it's very possible that they will, well, they'll want to know why. Be prepared to give your answer. It's Christ in you. And Christ in you and Christ in me is bright. And there's flavor. And there's healing. And there's preservation. Not because of who we are, apart from him, but because of who we really are in him. Do you know that? Like my Uber driver. I don't have faith, he said. Long pause. I graduated from faith. I have knowledge. I know who I am. I'm a beloved son of the living God. That was bright. And that was tasty. That was salt. And that was light. I saw it in him. He saw it in me. And that's why he started doing this when he got to me. And that's why he said the blessing he did in prayer over me and over you. Salt is powerful. Light is powerful because Christ is the salt. Christ is the light. Lord Jesus, your word is alive it's doing work even now in my heart and in the hearts of this body. And thank you for the privilege that we will be in the presence of people today and tomorrow and until you come who do not know these truths, who do not think this way, who might actually hate these things. But Father, if we are the people you've called us to be, there are going to be those who belong to you who will see you and us what a privilege that you would use us in that way. Lord Jesus, would you bring all of us today into closer intimacy with you and one another? Would you enable us 
to truly live out the Beatitudes and the fruit of the Spirit so that the world, which is in deep, deep darkness and deep decay right now, would be transformed by the presence, the transforming presence of Christ Jesus in us. We pray in your holy name, Christ. Amen. Let's stand.